0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Secondhand Stories. This is a place where I tell you stories. What kind? Well, histories, mysteries and unbelievestries. Today's episode has a bunch of these stories and they have one thing in common. They are all about love. Now, before I begin, I just want to tell you this, that love is extremely easy to experience, but it's hard to define. There must be in the world like a simple biochemical explanation for what love is but it's not satisfying because it would be like reading about Panipuri without popping one in your mouth Right? I'm sure it could accurately explain everything about love but it's not the same thing as actually feeling it and that's why I feel like art does the most justice to love because it never stops to wonder what it is It only tells you how it feels and what it makes us do. As for me, my own personal idea of it is simply that it is selflessness. And what I mean by that is that we spend most of our time up here planning and plotting what happens to us. And we do it out of self-preservation. We live most of our life in first-person singular. What do I do? What do I get? What do I gain? We are at the center of our existence, and rightly so. But love is the ability to move past that. Love is the force that destabilizes this notion. It pushes you off the stage and puts someone else there instead. That's powerful. That's extraordinary. Because self-preservation itself is such a powerful instinct. A being will do anything to be alive. So you can imagine how powerful love is that it's able to override such an instinct. And that is why across time and across cultures, there is only one thing that we have all agreed about love. It doesn't happen in the head. It happens in the heart. It's the one grand foolishness that brings out the best and the worst in us and it makes us capable of sacrificing ourselves for something else or someone else. Now, in that spirit, uh, here are a bunch of stories that are going to bring out uh, different facets of love and uh, hopefully they'll tell you what are the weird and wonderful things it makes us do. Our first story takes place in Brazil. I just want to tell you right off the bat, this story is one from The absurd section. You'll find out. So it's 2011. We're in Brazil. And there is a woman who's in her 50s called Maria Simoz. Now she's had a very bad time. Because very recently she has found out that her husband of many years has been cheating on her. It breaks her heart. It destroys her. She's extremely wounded. And she does what anybody would do when faced with such a situation. She hires a hitman to kill the woman he is cheating on her with. The hitman she hires is an ex-con called Carlos Roberto de Jesus. He has been recently released from jail and he is in desperate need of money. He agrees to do the job. And so, Maria tells him the name of his victim. Her name is Iranildez he takes the job and he goes to the house and then eventually Maria gets a photograph the photograph shows Iran Ildez and it's gruesome she's got blood soaked all over her body and there's a machete that's been put inside her it's a photograph that proves without a shred of a doubt that Iran Ildez is now a former human being then three days later Maria is walking through the market and she sees a sight that she cannot believe. In front of her is the hitman and he's kissing his victim. At first, she's shocked. She's scared. She can't believe what she's seeing. She feels like she's seeing a ghost. But then it starts sinking in and she realizes that it's not a ghost. What she's really seeing is a fraud. She quickly goes to the police station. And she tells them that Carlos Roberto de Jesus has stolen her money. The cops round him up and when they do, they find out the truth. And here is the truth. Carlos Roberto de Jesus tells them that he had taken the hit and when he found out the name, he was surprised. When he goes to meet the girl, he finds out that the woman that he has been told to kill is his childhood friend. And upon seeing her again, he falls instantly in love. He cannot go through with this hit. And so he confesses to Iran Hildes what has happened. And the two of them decide that now they are going to steal this money and con Maria. So what they do is they go to the supermarket and they buy two bottles of ketchup, which they pour liberally. Or Nira Nildes. She then tears her shirt, uses it as a gag. So it looks like she's been gagged. And then they put the machete. This is sent to Maria as proof. And she buys it. The only mistake they made was that after this, they didn't skip town. They chose instead to roam around the marketplace and make out. And that's how they were caught. A case like this had never come to the cops in this town in Brazil. And they were just amazed they couldn't believe that a woman had walked into the station and told them that she had given a hit on another human being and when they've caught the hitman they couldn't believe that he had instantly fallen in love with his victim all of it was incredible and the last part about the story is this maria should have known right from the beginning that she had been conned and the reason she should have known this was because if you look at the photograph You will see that there is ketchup all over this person's body, but not just that. The machete was placed in the arm of Iranildez, in her armpit, and it stuck out much, much too fake for anybody to really believe that this was real. But she didn't believe it, and that's why we have this story, and it's a story about how love is absurd, and it can broker peace in the most uncertain of circumstances the next story i want to tell you is equally absurd and it takes place in india we now come to kerala in a small town in kerala the year is 2010 and in 2010 a woman called sajita tells her parents that she's going out to meet her relatives she leaves the house but she never returns uh, frantic search is launched for Sajita but she is not found and eventually the people in the town chalk this down to her running away with a lover years go by and then in 2021 11 years later another disappearance strikes in this town and it strikes too close to be a coincidence because the neighbor of Sajita a boy called Rahman He disappears. The family again is frantic and again a search is launched. Months later, Rahman's brother was in another town. He happened to be there and by accident, he sees his brother Rahman in front of him. They've been searching for him for months. So he immediately calls the cops and he tells them that his brother is here and they should interrogate him. The cops land up at Rahman's house and at the house, they don't just find Rahman, they also find Sajita. The story that the couple tells them is truly incredible. It's unbelievable. Here's what they tell them. Sajita says that uh, she had left her house in 2010 and she had met Rahman. She had met Rahman because the two of them were lovers. They had been lovers for a while. And when she meets him, she tells him that she can't stay at home any longer. She wants to be with him. Rehman agrees that this is a possibility that they could do but they can't live in the town because he is afraid that his parents will not approve of the relationship. He wants to move out of the town with her but he can't do it right now because he doesn't have the money. So he sneaks her into his room and he tells her that in a few days his money will come in and then the two of them can elope. However, as fate would have it, the money is delayed and when it does come, Rehman's parents take it away. And so, Sajita, who is still in his room, has to board there for longer. The situation or the circumstances are getting out of the couple's hands. Slowly, the days turn into weeks, the weeks turn into months, and eventually, they turn into years. Sajita, it turned out, had stayed in that room with Rahman for 11 years. And Rahman didn't live alone. In this house were also Rahman's parents and a sister. And none of them knew that Sajita was just there in his room. She was a hundred meters from her house for 11 years. Here's how he had kind of kept her a secret. He would be extremely violent, extremely aggressive. If anyone ever tried to enter his room, he would behave like a deranged person to keep them out. He was known to have a a temper, which is why his parents usually just left him alone. He would also lock the room every single time he was outside and he had taken the bars off of the window. So in the night, she would sneak out from the window and use the bathroom that was kept behind the house for entertainment. She would watch TV with earphones on. He would bring her food because he would take his lunch and dinner inside the room and would not let anybody enter with him. Rahman's parents do not believe this. They say that he is making this up, that the couple are lying because they were there for 11 years and they didn't have a clue that Sajita was there in the room with Rahman. However, they also say that for 11 years, they only entered that room once. That was when there was roofing work happening in the house. So she stayed in the room and eventually 11 years later in 2021, they both snuck out and made their way to another town and wanted to start a life together. That's when they were caught. Now it's an unbelievable story, but the police eventually checked it up. They understood how she had stayed in that room and it checked out. So in 2021, the couple finally got married. And an MLA even was present at the wedding to bless them. So it all ended relatively well. This is a story that illustrates only one thing. And it illustrates the stupidity that love can make two people do. That's the kind of idiotic behavior that love is just too good at eliciting from human beings. The next story is set in russia and we're in the middle of the second world war this is a story of maria oktyabriskaya maria oktyabriskaya was born in uh, ukraine in present-day ukraine and in 1925 she got married to a man called ilia oktyabriskaya Ilya happened to be a soviet army officer and when she got married to him she also got interested in the army She joined what is known as the Army Wives Council. And in this, she learned how to be an army nurse. She learned how to drive and she learned how to use weapons. They live a relatively happy life. And then the Second World War breaks out. In 1941, Hitler decides to invade Russia. Now, when this happens, the town that is going to be first at risk is the hometown of Maria Oktyabrskaya. So she is transported for, for her own safety to a place called Tomsk in Siberia. In addition, Elia has to now make it to the front lines to face the German forces. Unfortunately, Elia Oktyabriskaya ends up getting killed in action. The news takes a long time to reach Tomsk in Siberia and it is two years after his death, that Maria finds out that her husband has been killed. It's devastating news. She's immediately enveloped in sadness. But soon, her sadness turns into anger. She is furious. And she wants vengeance. So what she does is that she sells everything she owns which then amounts to 50,000 rubles. She then takes this money and goes to the National Bank and deposits it. After that, she writes a letter to Stalin himself. She says that my husband had been killed in action and now I have sold everything and put 50,000 rubles in the National Bank. In return, I want two things. The demand she makes are these. The first thing she says is that she would like this money to be used to build a tank. And she says that she would like this tank to be called the Fighting Girlfriend. The second thing she demands is that she would like to be the driver of this tank. The letter reaches the State Defense Committee and they see an opportunity here. They realize that this could be news that would encourage the nation, that could be used as publicity to get people enlisted into the war. And which is why they decide to make this happen. They call Maria in and they tell her that she will undergo five months of training to be a driver and a mechanic of the tank. She is given this training and eventually she makes her way to the front lines. And there she finds a tank which is emblazoned with fighting girlfriend. Her crew initially are extremely suspicious. They think that this is nothing more than a publicity stunt. They don't take her seriously and they don't give her the respect that she deserves. But this only fuels her fire more. The first battle they enter, she is adept at driving this tank. She maneuvers it expertly and they end up taking down many machine-gun nests of the German army. They manage to break battle lines and it's a tremendous success. During this battle, their tank is hit. Because the one thing about tanks, the one disadvantage is that they're huge. They make for excellent targets. The tank is hit by the German forces and it stops. Now, Maria has been given strict instructions to not exit the tank. but. Without regard for her life and disregarding the orders, she jumps out of the tank and mid-battle, as the battle rages all around her, she manages to fix the tank. It's an enormous success and her courage is tremendous. When she comes back, this is acknowledged not just by her crewmen but also by the army because she is promoted to the rank of sergeant. She would go into two more battles. And twice more, she would be adept at her job and show her skills and be extremely, extremely hard on the Germans. They would not know how to deal with her. The second time was a night mission and she drove her tank uh, expertly despite having uh, any light to guide her. And even in this mission, the tank was shot but she was able to repair it. The third time however the same thing happens it's a night uh, mission and her tank gets hit she jumps out now there is enemy fire going on she's desperately trying to repair her tank but then a german missile hits and the shrapnel pierces maria octabriskaya she loses a lot of blood and even though she is transported back to a hospital she is in a bad state she slips into a coma now, her only dream was to see her tank, the fighting girlfriend, reach Berlin. And unfortunately, she would die in January 1944. The tank, however, would outlive its driver. And in 1945, it reaches Berlin. Maria Oktavreskaya was awarded the Hero of the Soviet Union, which is the highest honor that you can give a person in Russia. This was a woman who was driven by love and it multiplied her already incredible personality and made her a hero for an entire nation. And that's one of the things that love can make us do. It makes us transcend who we are and infuses us with a courage that we did not think we had before. We now move to ancient Greece okay? and there is a person who you might know as Plato, a very famous philosopher. Now, Plato had written a book called The Symposium and in the symposium, he had an idea for an army that would be extremely hard to beat. And here was his idea. He said that if an army consisted of lovers, they would be extremely hard to beat. Because the lovers would not only fight to protect each other, but they would also fight to excel in each other's eyes. That was his idea. And he was writing this years after this experiment had already been done. He was probably writing about this particular military unit. The unit I'm talking about is called the Sacred Band of Thebes. This was an elite military unit that existed in the mid 4th century BC. Before I tell you about the Sacred Band of Thebes, I need to set the scene for you. The Greek peninsula in the mid 4th century BC consisted of many small city-states. The biggest and the most powerful among them were Athens and Sparta. Thebes was a relatively smaller city-state. In the mid 4th century BC, Thebes has a problem with Sparta. Okay, the 2 It's a long issue, but the two are basically at war. Now, because Thebes is at war with Sparta, they know that they have to create a military unit that can stand up to the powerful forces of Sparta, which is why they create the Sacred Band of Thebes. This was formed around the 379 BC. And the interesting thing about the Sacred Band of Thebes was that it consisted of 150 pairs of male lovers. There was an elder and a younger lover as a pair and there were 150 pairs of them which basically amounted to a force of 300. A number which was very prominent in that part in that time as we know from Zack Snyder's ab-filled movie 300. The sacred band of Thebes was this uh, military unit and they were extremely good at their job. This idea of putting together lovers seemed to have worked. Because they faced the Spartans in a battle called the Battle of Tejira. In this battle, the Spartans came with a much bigger force. It was two or three times the size of the sacred band. But the sacred band very quickly, within almost minutes, was able to destroy this army. This they were able to do because of a strategy that they had employed which was basically attacking the head of the snake attacking the leadership of the spartan army now there is a phrase that is very common which is cutting off the head of the snake where if you cut off the head of the snake the rest of the body dies now this was the idea behind the sacred band of thebes and it was illustrated very very visually by their leader epaminondas and uh, here's how he did it he stood in front of his men with a snake in his hands and he crushed the head of the snake and he said men if you crush the head of the snake the body follows so if you kill the leadership the rest of the phalanx will also go down with it it's a historically extremely significant moment because up till that point sparta was considered invincible this was an army that lived on its reputation it would walk into the battlefield and because people knew how dangerous they were they would already win half the war but after this battle the air of invincibility this veneer that the spartan army had it got scratched and then a few years later in a second battle called the battle of leuctra that's when another decisive victory was won by the theban army by the sacred band of thebes this time they very quickly were able to fatally wound the spartan king and after the battle of Leuctra, thebes little thebes rose in power amongst these greek city states and it was because of the sacred band of thebes that they enjoyed power for the next 50 years it was only in 338 bc when finally the sacred band of thebes met its match it's in 338 bc that a king called philip of macedon attacks the theban forces philip of macedon was the father of a man called alexander the great so the macedonians rise up they attack the theban forces and this battle takes place uh, and it's called the battle of caronea now at the battle of caronea the uh, macedonian forces they are aware of the danger that the Sacred Band of Thebes poses. And so Alexander, who was then a young general, decides to engage them in battle first. He quickly surrounds them and he cuts them off from the rest of the army. Now despite being cut off and surrounded, the Sacred Band of Thebes do not give up. They fight ferociously against the Macedonians, but they do not stand a chance. And they are mowed down one by one. When King Philip hears of this, he rides over and he sees the bodies of the Sacred Band of Thebes. And when he hears their story, he weeps and he commends them for their bravery. To tell you how esteemed the Sacred Band of Thebes were in the eyes of the Macedonians, let me tell you this, that they were buried at the spot they were killed. And they were buried in formation. They were buried in rows, the way they would be when they were fighting and on top of this grave the Macedonians erected a statue it's a lion and this lion was found recently and it's called the Lion of Caronea. and that's how love becomes a force multiplier it makes even a small bunch of people able to conquer a much bigger force the next story I want to tell you is a story of loss and this takes place in japan on march 2011 an incident takes place that would change the life of yasuo takamatsu and it would change his life for no fault of his own in march 2011 an earthquake takes place in the pacific ocean it's a gigantic earthquake a magnitude nine Earthquake. The consequence of this is that a tsunami hurtles towards Japan and it crashes into its side. On that day, Yasuo Takamatsu's town was hit severely by the tsunami. 827 people from his town got swept away by the sea. Overall, because of this tsunami, 18,000 Japanese lives were lost. Many people are still not found amongst those people is Yasuo Takamatsu's wife. Her name is Yuko and the last message she sent him was Are you okay? I want to come home. It's a haunting final message and within it is a request. A request that Yasuo still tries to fulfill today. This disaster took place in 2011 but in 2013 Yasuo learns scuba diving and he has dove into the sea every single week since then without fail. Sometimes he's accompanied by the local authorities who are also looking for other missing people and their artifacts. But when they are not with him, he still dives alone. He says that every single time he dives, he hopes to meet his wife. So far, he's not had much luck. They have found some stuff and it belongs to other people they found clothes they found photo albums and they found personal artifacts but the remains of his wife remain elusive but he's not going to give up he says that he will keep searching for her as long as his body moves and that's a story about how love is not that which happens but that which endures The last story I want to tell you is about the durability of love and the things it makes us capable of doing. We're back in World War II, but we're in a different place. This time, we're in Auschwitz, which is the most notorious concentration camp. In 1940, a young Polish man, a Catholic Polish man called Jerzy Bielecki is caught. He's caught on charges of being a resistance fighter and he's sent to the newly established concentration camp called Auschwitz. Because he is Catholic and because he knows to speak German, he is put in charge of the warehouses. And he works in a granary specifically. Three years later, in nineteen forty three, that he meets a Jewish woman called Sila Sibulska. Now, Sila Sipulska had been brought into Auschwitz and she was working in the granary with him. She was there repairing the grain sacks and he was also working in the granary. Now, in Auschwitz, it was forbidden for the men and women to communicate. But the two of them still found moments to talk to each other. They would snatch conversations and soon a friendship formed. This friendship eventually turned to love. When he fell in love with Sila Sibulska, Jerzy knew that he had very little time. He had to get Sila out of Auschwitz because Sila's family had already been murdered at Auschwitz and he knew that her time was running out too. Now this was going to be a daunting task because many people had tried to escape from Auschwitz and a lot of them had failed. The joke was, that the only way to escape Auschwitz was through the chimneys. So, Yerji had his work cut out for him and he starts forming a plan. With the help of a friend, he manages to steal an officer's uniform. He manages to then steal a pass and then gather supplies. He then goes to Sela and he tells her this. He tells her that tomorrow, an SS officer will come to interrogate you. Now you can imagine how ominous this must have sounded to Sela. But then he tells her that officer will be me. The next day he dons his uniform, he gets his pass on which he's forged new details. He gathers his supplies and walks as confidently as he can make it into the barracks. And then he barks out Selah's number which has been tattooed into her arm sila comes out and the two of them start making their way towards the main gate he has his story in place the story is that he's going to take this jewish prisoner to a police station for interrogation they reach the main gate and he hands over his pass every second stretched into eternity sweat is pouring down the backs of these two people they wait scrutinizing in agonizing detail this officer who's looking at their pass and then the officer says thank you you can go the two of them leave but they're still extremely afraid that they'll be gunned down later yerji would talk about this event and say that he felt a pain in his back anticipating the bullet that would pierce him eventually they are out of sight of the gate and they manage to dart into a field where they hide. They hide out for the day and in the night they get up and start marching again. Now their ordeal would continue for the next 10 days. For 10 days they would hide in the day and in the night they would keep marching. Finally, after 10 whole days, they reach a farm that belongs to Yoshi's uncle. At the farm they stay a few days and when Yoshi is Convinced that Sila is going to be safe and taken care of, he tells her that he's rejoining the war. He's going back to fight against the Germans. He's joining the home army. He tells her to wait for him here, he'll be back. And so he leaves. Then the fighting intensifies. The battles rage on. And soon, news comes in to the farm so has died. It breaks Sila's heart. The person who had saved her from Auschwitz is gone. She can't stay at the farm any longer. So she packs up and she starts moving towards Warsaw. From there, she goes to Sweden. And from Sweden, she finally flies to the United States. Sila has to pick up the pieces of her life and has to move on. And she does. She finds a man. She marries him. And life goes on. However, the news she had gotten was false. Yerji was alive. And when the fighting ended, he made his way back to the farm. And he finds Sila gone. He had missed her by a mere four days. Unable to detect her with no idea where she's gone to, He has to give up on her. He stays back in Poland and he moves on. He marries a woman, has children, finds a job. It would be years later, in 1975, when Sila's husband would die. She would spend the next few years lonely. Finally, in 1983, something incredible happens. She has a Polish woman who comes to clean her house. And one day, the Polish cleaner tells her, this. She says that I was watching TV and there was a man on TV who was talking about his experiences in Auschwitz and they were extraordinary. She tells her a story and Sela recognizes that story to be hers. She realizes that if a person is talking about it, it has to be Jerzy. So she finds him, gets in contact with him and then she flies to Poland to meet him. When he meets her at the airport, He's brought 39 roses, one for each year that they were apart. They meet and it's quite a reunion. And eventually she tells him that join me, come back with me to the United States. But he declines. He says that I have a family here and I can't. They keep meeting uh, intermittently for the next few years until Sela finally passes away in 2002. So that's the story of sila and Yoji, and about how love endures but it doesn't always work out so these are some of the stories i hope you enjoyed them uh, they talk about love in all its different forms and this is just romantic love there's a lot more to it than these stories and every story is unique so i hope you enjoyed it and if you did then please leave a like and a comment if there are other stories you'd like me to cover then also leave them in the comment section below as usual this episode is brought to you by my career if you'd like to support my career then please check the description for links to shows i'll be doing i'm doing a show a zoom show on 20th february so uh, do check the description and come for that it's a lot of fun and until next time keep loving and goodbye